This is the concluding lesson for the Sunday School series on our glorious God, the attributes of God as we've been working through. Uh, hopefully it's been edifying. I'm confident that we've covered edifying topics and uh, shown you in the Word how those things are true. And so hopefully your souls have been built up in faith. Uh, let's pray together. Father, be with us now. Uh, help our our minds and our hearts to be receptive to truth. Uh, just would you put in us uh, an eagerness to live it out, to apply, or we pause now even just to think about the week ahead, knowing that there's going to be just a lot of life to come, and that we need you during those times. Uh, so may all the teaching that we've encountered over the last series and that we're currently going through in Ephesians uh, in the services, Lord, that those things would build into how we live our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so we're starting our last, our concluding Sunday School lesson here with the end of theology. No, we're not taking it away like Moses tried to do the other day when he canceled theology for life. No, no. Uh, and no, we haven't canceled or, or we haven't covered everything that we could possibly cover. Uh, and, and now we've reached the end of theological studies. It's the end of theology. No. Uh, but we are considering end as in goal. What is the end? What is the end game? What is the goal of theology? I mean, we have just spent 15 weeks together in this class studying the attributes of God, studying our glorious God. Why? Well, we have a Sunday school slot, so we have to fill it. So it's not that. It's not pastoral boredom. And it's not so that you can, you know, sit down and argue theological nuance across Christian camps. It's because we want to know God. We want to grow in relationship with God, which is an incredible privilege in and of itself, but it's very easy to, to just sort of take that for granted. But really, ultimately, Christianity is about a relationship. You hear Pastor Rick say this, right? Salvation is a person, not a plan. It's too easy, though, to turn Christianity into uh, to-do lists or behavior modifications, or sometimes even just a, a haze activity that we sort of get through and endure until we die. But it's not that. Christianity is none of those. It's, it's a relationship, a relationship that has tremendous implications and effects and has consequences in our lives in terms of our behavior and the things that we do and, and what we look forward to and how we endure in this life, yeah, but it's all fueled and sourced from the relationship with God. And God as a whole, Jesus, the Spirit, the Son of God, the Spirit of God, and God the Father. We, we, it's a relationship with Jesus. This is Jesus' own charge to the disciples back in Matthew 16, verse 24 to 25, Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone wishes to come, follow my rules. No. If anyone wishes to come after me, 
To come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Walk with the Savior. Know the Savior. Learn from the Savior. That was the essence of discipleship. We see this in Ephesians 4, 20 to 21, even as we covered, I don't know, a year ago maybe, right? But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and been taught in Him just as truth is in Jesus. We learn Christ. We know our God and we walk with our Savior. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with the Spirit. In Ephesians 4.30, we see the, that we have the ability to grieve the Spirit relationally. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, we have the, the ability to quench the Spirit because of that relationship that we have in our conduct and how that, that effectively stifles Him and His work in the midst of our relationship with Him. In Ephesians 5.18, as we've just covered uh, more recently, we have the opportunity to be filled and controlled in the midst of our relationship with God the Spirit. So Christianity is about a relationship with the triune God. It's a relationship with God the Father. And think about uh, Jesus' words in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is about relationship and knowledge of, not, not just head knowledge, but knowledge as in intimate acquaintance and walking with God. So that, that, that's the reason that we've been doing the class. That's the reason that we've spent 15 weeks doing this is because we want you, we want you to know your God. I mean, think about it. We, if we just kind of reflect back on salvation for a moment, we were aliens. We were strangers. We were enemies. We were citizens of darkness, citizens of the kingdom of darkness, and yet in salvation, after Jesus died and rose in order to offer salvation that brings us into relationship with God, from aliens to adopted family, from enemies and citizens of darkness to citizens of light and citizens of God's own kingdom. And it's a relationship that will last for all eternity. I was so encouraged last week to just reflect on and to be uh, to be spurred on in my thoughts of heaven, to be in the presence of God, and to know what that in such a practical way is going to look like as God wipes away every tear and dwells among His people. And so this is the point of Christianity, and this is the sustaining lifeblood, the sustaining strength of our faith. You're not going to find strength and effectiveness in tryhardism. All right? Sometimes we can do that. We can think that, but we won't. It's, it's, you won't find sustaining strength in perfectionism. But we will in dependence on the character and work of our God and how our relationship through salvation with knowing God actually brings strength. 
I mean, look, look, look with me in Hebrews chapter 4 real quick. It's one of, my, one of my absolute favorite passages. I come back to this time and time again in my own life, in my own heart, and in my counseling and discipleship. The truths of this. Independence and, and on the character and work of our God, specifically God the Son here, this is crucial. Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, and everything that's wrapped up in that phrase is the, is the person and the work of Jesus and where he sits now as our intercessor, as our forerunner, and, he's in the, and the implication is let us hold fast our confession. Because of our knowledge of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done, hold fast your confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Oh, so we can know Jesus a little bit better and understand that Jesus is a compassionate high priest who relates to our weaknesses. Wow, so I understand him more. And then if we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin, therefore let us draw near. There's implications to that with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See how much dependence on the person and work of Jesus, the Son of God, there is in that verse, those verses. Uh, think about the Ephesians 1 and 5 and, and the Spirit being the seal, the seal of our inheritance that's to come, and, and how what we just covered about being filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit as we are in relationship with God, as we grow in our knowledge of God, the Spirit moves and controls us. And as we avoid quenching and grieving, the Spirit moves and fills and controls. Think about Psalm 23 and the relationship that is, that is pictured there. The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. There's, there's such intimacy and familiarity and dependence in that phrase. And yet it's all contingent upon the relationship and the knowledge of God that the psalmist has. And so a true and growing knowledge of God is both the relational goal and the practical lifeblood of the faith. This last 15 weeks, folks, was, was not an academic exercise. It was not just, ah, let's just come up with a series. And I mean, everybody does Attributes of God series, so we, we should go ahead and do one too. No, it's the, it's, it's, it's the relational goal and it's the lifeblood of your faith. It'd be a pastoral travesty to just give you a bunch of to-do lists about what it means to live life as a Christian and not point you to the person of, of God. I mean, it was to this end that Paul preached and taught in Colossians 1.28. He says, we proclaim Him. We proclaim Him, Jesus, admonishing Every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete, mature in Christ. So we've taught the last 15 weeks seeking to encourage you in the knowledge of your God and for the sake of your relationships with him and Lord willing the impact on your everyday lives that results from that. And I know some of you are looking at the next section of the handout saying there is no way we're going to get through all this but we will. But I wrestled with just how, how do I wrap this up? And I realized, okay, it's been a few months 
since we even covered some of this. And sometimes when you go through a, a longer series, it's easy to just sort of lose sight of the forest because you've been checking out the individual trees. And so we're going to take a, a blitzkrieg review here. This, this is our God. Okay, this is our God. The unity and simplicity of God. Our God is not divided up into parts or little segments of characteristics. Our God is one single being whose whole character extends throughout his whole person at all times. So we have to remember the, the, the beauty and, and the otherness of who God is in this sort of way. The independence, the self-existence, the self-sufficiency of God. Our God has everything he needs for existence within himself. You cannot look at our God and say he's lacking anything. He has no need of affirmation. He has no need of help. He has no need of input from anyone else. He has no need of relationship even outside of himself. I mean, this ties into etern eternality, but God, God has existed a long time before he created anything. And he didn't create out of need. He created out of choice. Our God is immutable. Our God has not, does not, nor will he ever change in the essence of his character. Yeah, we, we talked about this, right? He may, he may change in his responses to situations at various times, but those changes of action are in complete, unchanging accordance to his perfect, immutable character. And thus, they're not changes of who he is. Our God does not change. We have no reason, we have no, we have no concern about saying, oh, I hope that God is the same now as he was back when I got saved. Oh, I hope God is the same God as he was back in the New Testament or the Older Testament or whenever. God doesn't change. His character is always the same. See, we are going to make it through this list. Infinity, infinity and eternality. Our God has always existed and will always exist. He has always existed and he will always exist. And his existence is outside of time, although he functions and exists in time as well. He is not bound by time, but he's not limited in that either. All of God's attributes are infinite and unlimited. There is no limit to who he is in, the, in these characteristics. He is perfect. He is without limitation. He is without lack. There is no reason to, to face any situation in life and to say, Boy, I hope God's power is enough to. Boy, I hope God's grace is enough to. Boy, I know God is, is wise 
I just don't know if he's wise enough. Like, there, there's no reason. There's no reason because, because of God's infinity, because of, because of the, the scope and depth of who he is, there's no reason. All of his attributes are infinite and unlimited. We see that expressed specifically in a few ones coming up here. The omnipresence of God. Our God is fully present everywhere at all times. And remember, this is not like, okay, we got 0.0001% of God sitting right here, right now. And the, the, the other percentages of God are sort of scattered all over. This is, I, I, I fully admit, I don't really, my mind starts to cramp when I think about fully present everywhere at all times. And that's good because, because I'm very bound, right? We are very bound. And so it both humbles us and causes us to be dependent and causes us to, to be in awe of who God is. But the omnipresence of God as we see in the, in the psalmist in Psalm 139, uh, has, has great practical implications, right? Don't think that in your sin you can somehow hide it from God. But also in your suffering, don't think that God is not there. Because God is there fully all the time. The omnipotence of God, our God has infinite power. Infinite power. Don't think of what the genie says in Aladdin right now. I know you're doing it. Stop. More than that. Infinite, unlimited, not dependent on wishes, not dependent on somebody's asking, not dependent on somebody's actions. God's power is infinite and unlimited. And we see this demonstrated. We, we see this demonstrated even... even uh, <clears throat> Even in Job, right? Like the, the omnipotence of God, and he, he barely even flexed, I think, when he created. But this is what he says to Job. He says, Job, were you there when I did this? Do you kind of contain the storehouses of, of snow, or did you give the horse his strength? Or can you put a hook in Leviathan? Can you handle behemoth? And Job's obvious answer is, well, no. And, and God says, well, I do. I did. I have. And again, I think in terms of the infinity of God's power, it's just God, God just did it. It wasn't hard. He didn't break a sweat. You know, and, and, and so as we grow in that knowledge, this is, this is where it has to go. As we grow in that knowledge, we have to live life in perspective to that. If we have, huh, I taught on uh, adoption on Wednesday night. If we've been adopted into the family of God so that God the Father is our Father, that we can say, Abba, Father. And then He has unlimited, infinite power. What do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? Especially when it's, it's even paired with an, uh, omniscience. You know, again, our God is not lacking. It's not like he's just some omnipotent being that just has no clue how to use it, right? Which is, which is really good. He's omniscient. And then you can go to other things like omnisapience. He's uh, all, all wise, and we'll get into wisdom. But the omniscience of God is that our God has full and complete knowledge about everything, 
whether they're realities or possibilities, whether they're past, present, or future, because again, remember, the eternality of God has God operating even outside of time. So he's not bound by saying, gee, I hope, I hope I'm getting right about what's come. Because that, that's just not how he works. The omniscience of God, he has full and complete knowledge about everything, whether realities or possibilities. And in, in his characteristics of omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniscience, God is sovereign. He has utter sovereignty. Our God is in complete control complete control of all aspects of life, though he does not cause sin or sinful actions. Complete control. This is one to dwell thoroughly on because it does extend to hardships. It does extend to trials. He's in complete control, though he does not cause sin or sinful actions. And yet, as we know God... And grow in our awareness of what's the, what we're even just going to review in the, in the points ahead. That sovereignty, even in difficult times. That, 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 that changes the coloring of those situations. It changes our interpretation. It changes our understanding of, of those times. And we're humbled by God's holiness because our God is completely unique in his being. And this is God's challenge sometimes. You you thought that I was like you. (laughs) Preposterous. Holiness, utterly unique in his being, utterly pure in his character, without flaw or error. He is transcendent in his being. Hmm. And here, here we're here. If you remember, we took a, we took a, a slight turn that, uh, in the midst of the series into now the expressions of God's goodness, and we see mercy, compassion, our God's great goodness towards those in misery and distress. I mean, think about that. This God, this immutable, infinite, eternal omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign, holy, independent, self-existent, self-sufficient God feels on our behalf. Compassion. As we grow in that knowledge, that should should affect our, our, our hearts. That should affect our lives. That should affect... Our responses to to circumstances, consider his grace, our God's great goodness towards those who deserve punishment. And all our hands go up. And yet, God gives grace to those who deserve punishment. His righteousness and justice, our God is the absolute standard Okay, and this is, this is so crucial when it comes to interpreting uh, life events and, and world events and circumstances around us and demands put upon us and the pressures of society. But our God is the standard and definition of what is right. The standard. Objective, externally imposed, the standard. All his actions are in accordance with that standard, resulting in perfect righteousness and justice. The jealousy of God. Our God is zealously protective of that which is precious to Him. 
His name. God zealously protects His name. Our God zealously protects His glory. I am the Lord, you shall have no other God before me. Our God zealously protects His people. Thank you, Lord. Our God zealously protects His promises. He is jealous, even for His own character and faithfulness in bringing those things about. Our God is wrathful. Our God has infinite and right Remember, rightness, righteousness. Our God has infinite and right anger directed towards wickedness and unrighteousness. It's always aimed at those things. It's not just a boiling pot of seething wrath, but it's a, it's a, it's a right and it's a holy response to wickedness and unrighteousness. That which deviates from the standard of righteousness that God is and expresses, Right? Our God is love. Our God has a diversely applied, benevolent disposition towards himself and his creatures. Okay, diversely applied, benevolent disposition. That even just sounds too sterile. But you got to kind of think it through a little bit. Again, I just, this is why we have to talk about it now, because we started with things like, you know, independent and self-sufficient and omnipotent and sovereign and holy and eternal and immutable and blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, seven weeks later, we get to love and we can kind of forget, right, that the love is part and parcel of who God is along with these things. And so that just, that just magnifies God's love, at least in my heart. Because God is not just some squishy, soft teddy bear of, of, of love that, you know, you're like, well, I, I'm glad he loves me, but is that it? No, it's like the, the complete picture of who God is, is is just enormous in scope and in intensity and in character. Goodness. I love this, this definition um, and so I just copied it. Our God is the sum, source, and standard for all that is wholesome. Remember this? All that is wholesome, virtuous, beneficial, and beautiful. He's the sum, the source, and the standard for all that is wholesome, virtuous, beneficial, and beautiful. That's, that's who our God is. That's who we walk with. That's who has decided to bring us out of darkness and into light. That's who decided to bring us out of bondage to sin and Satan and into his family. Wisdom. Our God moves beyond omniscience, right? He knows everything. He moves beyond omniscience into always choosing the best possible means to achieve the best possible goals according to his standards. Okay, but the, those are never deficient. Never deficient. Truthfulness. Our God is true. He acts in truth. And he speaks perfect truth. And then in faithfulness, according to our God's truthfulness, he is perfect in always acting according to his word and character. See, this is the problem that some of the, the unbelievers around think. Is that, well, I mean, it's, it's been... It's been so long since God promised to return, and so surely we just go live on our own. 
But the biblical writers say, no, God is faithful, and with him, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day, and so count him faithful. If he says it, it will be. If he promises, he will bring it to pass. If he promises a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth, and a giant cube of a city, and ultimate victory over sin, and grief, and sadness, if he promises his presence forever and ever, and if he promises to be faithful to bring us through this life unto that end, as Paul says, I know whom I have believed, and who I've entrusted unto that day, if he promises, he's going to be faithful. He's going to be true to those words because he is true and truth in his character. And so I hope that's all a little bit overwhelming to you, that you kind of realize, yeah, I remember hearing a lot about that, but I don't think I fully grasp it. Good. It was, that, that's my goal. It was overwhelming to me to go back and to think through and to review the lessons and to again consider, oh yeah, wow, God is, this is who God is. This is who God is. God is truly majestic. He's grand. He's complicated. And he's glorious. Which is why we read in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but put all those things aside. If you want to boast, boast in this. Let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. And that's available for any and all of us, regardless of our wisdom, regardless of our wealth, regardless of our strength. Hopefully this overwhelming list makes clear that we can never fully plumb the depths of who God is. Romans 11 says, oh, the depths, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. And like we talked about before, that doesn't mean we don't seek to fathom and to search. But even as we seek to fathom and seek to search, we realize, wow, these are unsearchable. These are unfathomable. For who has known the mind of the Lord to become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so it took us 15 weeks to cover these things. And I think you heard <clears throat> time and time again that, you know, these pastoral caveats. Oh, we're just scratching the surface here, right? Oh, this one should be a whole series in and of itself. And you're like, oh, yeah, we know that every time, right? But we were just providing overviews. We were just taking a peek. We left out so many scriptural references and truths um, regarding each of these topics. Verses that color and nuance and shine insight into the character, the person of God. And so moving forward, there, there are some, some big takeaways. Uh, my encouragement to us all as we wrap up this series here. And this is my encouragement to my own heart. Okay, this is my encouragement to our elder board. My encouragement to each one of you here is that this, we're, we're not done. None of us are done. No number of studies, no number of degrees, 
exhausts the knowledge of the person and the glory of God. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd take a poll of some of the older folks here if, if I was bold, and I'm not. But I would wager that if I asked, every single gray-haired hand would go up and say, I'm still learning. I've been walking with the Lord for 65 years, and I'm still learning. I still get blown away by what I see in God's Word, by what I learn of who my God is. Right? So we're all moving forward. And no number of times reading through the Bible means that we, we've got it dialed in and we perfectly know how to live in relation and connection to our God. And so remember what I said, the end of theology, the goal is that relationship, that knowledge that leads to awareness and intimacy. This is, this is what we need to do. We need to pursue the end of theology, pursue the goal of our salvation every day, which is to pursue knowing God, pursue that relationship with God. And we do this in Bible study. We do this through reading the Bible. We do this through thinking about the Bible. We do this through opening the Bible and, and, and seeking it in a variety of forms to say, show me my God. We can even do it by, by considering, contemplating creation, right? The heavens are telling the glories of God. But even specifically, revelation shows us detail and nuance and, and specifics that general revelation and creation can't. So engage. Engage God's Word for the sake of knowing God. Engage God's Word through topical studies. Maybe one of these characteristics of God piqued your interest. Engage in a study on that. I want to know more. There's, there's plenty more to be known. Uh, get, grab a good book. Meet up with some folks. Read it on your own. Spur one another on in your knowledge of God, your relationship with God. Uh, Bible studies here at the church. Dig into God's words so that you might know your God more. Have a reading plan. Have a reading plan not because it's on the to-do list, but have a reading plan because you have a relationship with God and you want to know Him more. And that's important. We have to avoid the checkoff mentality. Sweet. Read my chapter. Check my box. I'm moving on. Didn't learn anything. Didn't dwell on the Lord. Don't have a takeaway for considering the Lord, but I've done my Bible reading. That's not what we want. We want to, we want to read and then ask yourselves, what does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about who He is? about what he expects, about his work and how he has worked. Uh, prayer, Bible reading, prayer, talk to God. Ask for more faith, for greater discernment, for greater affections. And then even give thanks and praise for what you've read and what you know. See, sometimes we can go, huh, that's, that's a cool little tidbit of truth. I mean, God really is powerful. And then we just sort of walk away. But, but take that and put it into the relational realms of, Lord, pray, I praise you for your greatness. As I encounter this situation coming up in my life, Lord, I acknowledge you as the one who is so powerful. Please work in this to help anchor me in who you are as I, as I go. And you see how suddenly you start to draw knowledge into relationship. We need to respond to the truths. And this is going to have something to do with our life choices, our responses to life and the circumstances. See, in all situations, we have the opportunity to have an atheistic, even as believers, to have an atheistic response or a faith-filled response. 
And the presence of God or the lack thereof is the difference in how we respond. So here's some examples of that. What will you do when trials come and disasters strike? And they're going to. We can tear our hair out and we can be anxious, but that's an atheistic response, right? That's a response that said, here's life coming at me. I don't even think about God. I don't acknowledge God. I don't consider God. You hear the atheistic approach to that? And instead, don't look at my hair right now. We tear our hair out and we get anxious. That's a faithless response, right? Whereas the faith-filled response recalls God's character, calls it to mind like Jeremiah did in Lamentation as he sat on a hill overlooking the city of Jerusalem that was burning and in rubble. And he said, this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses never cease. His mercies never fail. He was looking at burning rubble and he didn't tear his hair out and get anxious. He, he thought about his relationship with God and his knowledge of God. And he brought it to bear on the situation, right? And he maintained faith-filled hope. How will we respond when danger threatens us personally or maybe societally? I mean, we could, we could rally the troops and we could break out the guns and we could build the bunkers. You know, some, some independent efforts at, at self-preservation, which is kind of an atheistic approach. Well, here's this, so I'm going to go ahead and do this and take this into my own hands. Or we can remember God's character. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Faced with imminent danger. And what did they say? I know who our God is. Our God can deliver us. Our God is fully omnipotent, fully sovereign, fully capable to deliver us from the fire. He may not, but we know who he is. And so we'll respond in faith. What a difference. On a, maybe a more daily level, okay, how about this? Um, how will you respond when your highly anticipated golf game gets rained out? See, the atheistic response is like, ugh, stupid rain. Messed up all my plans. And some of, some of us are cringing right now. I just called you an atheist. But you see how God is not present in that response? Because like Job, we need to remember that God controls the rain. God controls the circumstances. God has that kind of a power. And so then the response says, oh, God is sovereign. God is good in his will and his ways. And we look forward to the good works today that he's prepared beforehand that I should walk in them, which does not include a golf game. <laughs> but, but it's the presence or, or lack of God in the midst of our response to life. How will you orient your heart and thinking during the daily rush and grind of details of life that's coming at us, all the busyness? Do we grit our teeth and get her done? You know, maybe check the right boxes off, but are, are, are functionally living as atheists, not acknowledging God, not thinking of God, not depending on God, not taking the faithful response of setting our mind on things above, not putting our treasure in heaven with the person of God and living life with the right perspective, right? You see the difference? But so much of that is dependent upon our, our, our awareness and and. and and the impact of our awareness on those life circumstances is going to be directly correlated to our, our appreciation of the weight 
and the gravity and the greatness and the grandeur of God's character. And so when I say atheist, I'm, I'm guilty of it too sometimes. But this is why theology is important. It's not an academic exercise. It's the ability to connect you in greater growth and knowledge of God. We've only just begun wherever you're at. You've only just begun. I've only just begun. Myrill, in the very introductory class, read this quote from Joel James down in South Africa. Joel James says, No matter how diligent your accumulation, no matter how brilliantly you categorize, alphabetize, and analyze the facts you've discovered about God, you haven't really done theology if that's all you do. Why not? Because theology requires daily application. Theology produces love for God. That's part of that prayer I was talking about, interacting with God about who He is, bringing who He is into our daily living. He says, theology must always ascend from the arid desert of merely accumulating and analyzing facts about God to the lush mountain valleys of appreciation, worship, and love for God. That's our application. And that's what we ought to pursue together here at MRBC. This should leak into our relationships. This should, this should leak into our care groups. That's why we want our care groups to be talking about life and theology and bearing with one another and rebuking one another and encouraging one another and caring for one another in the midst of life and by bringing theological truth to bear. So we need to pursue it together in community for the glory of God and for our good. And this concludes our Sunday school class and our Sunday school series. Next there will be, uh, for, the, uh, for the duration of May, there will be just a series of one-offs. Okay, So you just have to, it's like popcorn preaching. Just come in and see what happens. You know? um, and tonight at the family meeting, you'll, you'll hear more in terms of uh, the, the plans for our future ministry structure uh, even after this little series in May. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We are humbled before you. I know my heart is, is brought low in, 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 in great joy in addition to humility, Lord, before who you are uh, just by considering these things afresh. So Father, please use your spirit in our lives to to remind us of these things, to remind us of who you are, what you've done, what your word reveals to us, and bring sanctification and growth even in the days ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.